It's like a combination of lettuce and meat. Hello, and welcome to episode six of the End to End podcast. This week, we're going to try and tackle the big topic of discovery, what that means and how it benefits our clients. This week, I'm joined with James Dow. Hello. And we have a debut appearance from Kirsten Minchel. Hello. The boss. (laughs) (laughs) I'll cut that out. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so we've got quite, quite a big topic here. We thought... On reflection, we'd be doing a bit of work to try and promote our just the work that we do um, internally in helping clients sort of understand the problems that they're trying to solve with their products, talking to their users. And we're trying to communicate that process that we do, and we thought this would be a nice topic to cover on the podcast today. So I think James is going to be our interrogator. Yes, I'm the, res- the resident question asker. And myself and Kirst are going to be experts with air quotes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how we'll see how this goes. Um, yeah, so I thought we we kick this off with just I guess what it is. Yeah, what is discovery? What is discovery? Pass oh. <laughs> it over to one of our experts, Kirsten. Why don't you start us off with what's what is discovery? Well, from my point of view, I tend to be involved in the early stages of any um, interaction with our our clients where they come to us with an idea. Um, that idea tends to manifest itself in a number of different things such as wireframes, requirement specification, API specification, mm-hmm. or a very early idea that's just written down in a you know sort of very shorthand. Um, and to then be able to take that and turn it into something where there's a shared understanding of the positive sort of value outcome that can be derived from from those initial kind of assets. Um, so for discovery for me is to be able to bring together the people necessary to actually uncover what needs to to be done. Yeah. And I think it's it's an area that we add a lot of value um, and sort of differentiate ourselves a little bit and that I think long gone are the days where you would get given specification or some thing to build and just take it as gospel and go off and build it and hope it works. I think people appreciate that we actually look at what is brought to the table with us and through the process that we employ with the discovery stuff, we actually make sure that or try and encourage clients that they're either building the right thing or building they could be on a path to um bankruptcy or <laughs> with the project that they're trying to build and through this process we catch that early um, and potentially let them give them the opportunity to try something else I guess or okay do you have any any examples to mind of of that process that maybe uh, something we've done recently or I mean I think without naming sort of particular project there's projects that have there's been a very strong opinion as to what it might be that they've, they've 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 got a very personal experience with the problem, and I think a bit more emotionally invested in in the potential solution for it. Um, and through coming to us, um, discussing the idea with the team, going through some of these activities that we will we'll go through shortly, um, and quite most importantly, talking to some potential users, they've come to the realization that the, the their initial idea at least um, wouldn't isn't but wouldn't work or people would be very reluctant to it. And it was also technically quite expensive to, 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 to build. Um, so I think that if somebody had not gone through that process could have spent an awful lot of money building technology, building software, only to find it didn't work. Um, and a lot of what this process is, is not only about refining an idea to something that is actually hopefully marketable and, and viable, um, mm. but also doing it as cheaply as, as possible, at least in the initial stages, just to make sure that you're building just enough stuff to achieve the actual impact that you're actually trying to trying to get to. Yeah, it's interesting actually because a lot of the um, a lot of outcomes that we have with the, the products that we build 
we end up in a situation where the client thanks us for not building the thing they came to us asking us to build. Right. Um, and the way I see some of the initial contact that we have with them, people tend to just get down in whatever format they feel comfortable with what it is they think they need from a solution point of view. And we need to kind of um, take that back to kind of the root cause analysis of well, why is what what they're actually trying to achieve with with that solution. Generally, there are other solutions that are more appropriate yeah. for the problem they're trying to solve. They're just not aware of that. I think another sort of side effect of it indeed benefit of it all as well is that if you are coming to us as a as a as somebody well we like to think of our clients as partners more than just us handing off a handing off a deliverable and through this process as well as hopefully refining what it is that they're trying to build and definitely focusing on a on a tested and validated problem is that you develop because the team comes on board with you with that process you get a bit of empathy and a bit of understanding about the users that the 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 problem space in itself so when you're working on solutions or trying to sort of iterate and move on with the product, people in the team with you have got an, a better understanding of what the problem is and can empathise a bit more with the problem and the people behind that problem as well. So ultimately, it should hopefully give you better quality work or better informed work from everybody on the team, not just the person who was bringing the problem at the client in the first place or just one sort of individual that's been liaising with the client and then handing over the right. requirements as well. So it tries to be an inclusive process. Um, I mean, on that point, though, who who would you say is involved in Discovery? Is it, does it tend to be just mm-hmm. sort of more of a design activity or is there other aspects? For me, I mean, ideally, I guess there's, there's, there's usually a bit of a, a trade-off in what's the ideal scenario versus what's, what's practical. Um, to go on to my earlier point, I think it's important to have as many people from the team as possible involved in this process because generally what it involves more often than not is exposure to the people who are suffering from, well, are exposed to the problem that you're trying to fix or trying to resolve um, and people who are invested in that product as a, either as a business um, or as a service or, or however it impacts these people. So if everybody has an understanding or has some exposure to that, I think that empathy is quite a key aspect of this is that people can relate to the problem people are a bit more invested in making sure that what they're actually doing be it design or be it development you know they can they've got first-hand exposure to who it impacts um so bringing i mean to be a cliche but bringing everybody on the journey through that process is is quite quite important i feel practically you know depending on resources and budget you try and make the best of the situation i guess but yeah try and even if people can't attend every aspect of that process, there's always opportunity to share what's being done through research or through interviews or, or indeed some of the sessions that we that we have with clients. Yeah, and I think you haven't explicitly mentioned their name, but some people that are ultimately really important are end users or you know, mm. customers of the of the product not necessarily just people involved in the production of the of the product yeah. or the service that we're we're creating um, tends to be sometimes a fixation on involving all of the management aspects of delivery of a product without actually looking at well, who's going to be using this yeah definitely and I think that as well as that there's those people that you initially engage with the thing can potentially become early adopters or, or yeah. people who are kind of a bit more invested in the project and they can help, you know, we've got a close feedback loop with them and they feel a bit more invested and become advocates for the product. So there's definitely, well, there's multiple strands of benefits from all, from all of this, really. Okay, so what sort of activities are involved in Discovery? I think we've got... Or at least we, we've had this conversation internally a little bit in terms of trying to distill the process down into to key points. And it's it's never... It, the discovery process in general is quite fluid, I, I think. The, the, you know, things move between stages quite 
quite regularly, but we've kind of tried to group things into a few sort of areas which we're going to try and cover through here. So we've got what we're referring to as a sort of a stakeholder uh, workshop, um, which is kind of like essentially like a kickoff meeting with everybody who's involved. Um, we'll talk a little bit about the next sort of stage, which is about user research and what goes into that. We've kind of got a, a an R&D section, which is about, especially because we do a lot of technical solution stuff, um, mm-hmm. we sort of set aside a bit of period to sort of assess how technically viable certain things are. We'll cover that a little bit. And then a phase which is about the what we're calling like a collect, like a, a collaborative definition of the product, um, which is an activity whereby we all come together and try and work out what this thing actually is. Um, okay. So if we just take the first one, so you talked about the stakeholder activity. What's what's involved with that? Assuming the stakeholders, are obviously. But... <laughs> what is a stakeholder? What is a stakeholder? Can we define a stakeholder? A stakeholder is anybody with a vested interest in the success or failure of, of the product. Um, so anybody whose needs will be met by delivering the product or anyone whose needs are at risk by delivering it or otherwise not delivering it, I would mm. say. Which is a fairly, fairly good definition. Yeah. Okay. So... With those people involved, what sort of activities take place, I guess? Um, so I think one of our most recent examples, I mean, the main thing, the main outcome of, of this workshop is that everyone, all of those stakeholders, leave knowing what problem it is that they're trying to solve with this project, um, what success would look like, um, what things or what risks could potentially cause the project to fail mm-hmm. um, and what things that what things could actually improve the success or increase the chances of success of the project these this sort of exercise is a way for them to well, this workshop is a way for them to contribute individ, as individuals initially um, their opinion or their concerns or their preferences to that in order for everybody who's in that room to sort of Look at it, take it on board, potentially sort of identify areas of commonality and things that are shared. Okay. Yeah, I mean, interesting as well. There are certain projects that we work with. I mean, Hotwire Global is a good example where they have a senior leadership team that's spread across continents, right. and it's very difficult to bring everyone together on a constant basis. So quite often, you might find that this is the best place if you're going to bring everyone together to, to do that. Because you haven't made any decisions at that point and therefore the conversation can be very open and they can feel part of the decision-making process. Yeah. And then there's a good point at which you can go away and start acting on those those decisions. I think that's fair. I think then the the way the ex- workshop generally manifests itself is that people will sort of these sort of questions on the last one we ran anyway we had these sort of three key areas which were around the risks increases chance of success and what success would look mm-hmm. like for them and they annotate so they all collaborate with post-it notes they just put their post-it notes up with things that were relevant to those questions annotated with their initials so we knew where they where they came from right. um and then after that meeting, at least with regards to those three particular questions, we sort of aggregated things and sort of distilled it down into a document that we can then share that everybody's yeah. hopefully quite happy with in okay. terms of a direction and risks and that sort of stuff. Well, the risk is an interesting area, isn't it? Because, because if you've got a bunch of quite open people at that meeting, they are generally quite open to some of the potential bottlenecks and dysfunctions that exist within their own organisation where they're worried that those things might hamper the success of the project. Okay. So again, you know, if you've got a reliance on content producers from an internal team, but you know your content producers are overloaded, there's a way of sharing that and then you can discuss, well, how do we overcome that potential bottleneck? And that can be true for many other aspects of a of a project, mm. um, unless you have that discussion, then it's quite hard for us to identify some of those bottlenecks that are effectively going to impact the way 
the way he deliver the work. Mm. Yeah, I think one thing that's a bit tricky for this conversation in particular is, is that you know the very the types of clients that we get or the types of projects that we might the scale of them can vary quite significantly. That we could have a very particular issue with an existing product versus a whole new wholesale yeah. kind of thing. So the context in which these activities occur can vary um, in scale quite a bit. Um, so there's no kind of one-size-fits-all sort of solution. But I think a key aspect of, the, of this exercise as well is just to get a collective buy-in on what the problem that they're trying to solve and potentially in particular who the problem is for as well. Okay. Um, so like in one example you have the work the stakeholders around we've got one of the, the the CEO to stand up and sort of just write the, the their problem statement that they sort of arrived at initially on the wall um, yeah. which is this issues with sort of marketing themselves to a particular um, sub section of their target audience they felt like it was very it was they were underachieving and they needed to change that Um Everybody around the room generally agreed with that sort of shift, shift in strategy. I think there was a few people that raised some questions about, you know, making sure that they are still focusing on other individuals as well that make up their market share. But they also, from from that, we also sort of focused on, you know, their target audience and ran a little bit of a proto-persona kind of exercise, okay. um, which is just quickly... I mean, personas are a huge, can be quite a huge topic um, and people specialise in sort of delivering them in terms of just getting the project up and running, we just generally try and sort of put a bit of an outline around these people. So what sort of category do they fit in? What are their sort of behaviours? What are their needs and goals, really? And um, I think with that particular project, we had three or four. Mm. Um, and indefinitely, there'd, there'd be more, but they were the kind of like top yeah. um, level. Thing. And they give us something to focus on and to anchor stuff around the next part of the discovery process, which was around like the user research. Okay. And potentially as well, I don't know about you, but I find it quite useful to understand whether or not they have got a good handle on who they, the customers are. I mean, ideally, someone should be the customers should be in that in that meeting, but if they're not, um, the likes of Hotwire again have a much clearer understanding of who their target audience is, what they do, their behaviours, and so on and so forth, because they're established. And they have that, but when we work with startups. Sometimes it's a little bit um, greyer in terms of who these customers are mm. and how we go about defining them and ideally finding them. Because I think we'll come on to that in terms of the user research. You can't do re- user research on someone who doesn't exist. Yeah. So for startups, it's a little bit different in that we might be doing a little bit more unpicking in terms of, well, who are these actual people that you think are going to be your customers. Okay. So if we're if we just following that theme, if um, we're talking about doing some user research and finding out about users for a, a startup, say, what sort of activities are involved in that? Like how, how would you go about um, researching who, or, or confirming, I guess, an, an expectation of what a user is? That makes sense. It is. It is interesting. I think, and this is something that maybe we didn't, maybe touch on as much earlier. Is that uh, there is no kind of one solution for for each particular well, one size fits all solution for different problems. So with startups, for instance, you see, you might be trying to conjure up a market. I guess I'll try to hope that there's there's some opportunity there. Yeah. I guess people typically have a, a, an idea of a demographic or. That of a type of person in mind, um, that person might not exist, <laughs> right. um, or the needs that, that they sort of imply that their people might need doesn't actually exist. But that's kind of where the where the target of the re- user research comes about is to, is to try and find that market right. a little bit more um, with an existing client that already has users, or it's targeting a marketplace, or we know these type of people exist. Um, you can obviously reach out and get in touch with them or try and get in touch with them directly. Yeah. The strategy when it comes to a, a startup is a little bit more trying to identify a type of, of person, um, okay. either by age or industry or mm. you know, sort of hobby, um, and trying your best to, to basically sit down and chat to those, those people um, right. and run a bit of a session with them. 
I think there's always a, a bit of a red flag, though, in a situation where um, if you scratch beneath the surface of who is this user mm-hmm. and they don't really exist, you can't find them, then you've got a problem. Yeah. That potentially doesn't happen so often because we can work to adapt that original kind of idea of who the who the customer is and who yeah, the Yeah, well it's is. very much that's very much in the spirit of the mentality that needs to go into this exercise. It's not about kind of proving or disproving. I think maybe that's a bit of a bit about what we're looking at. It's about learning and, and you know, you might through that process you might your initial assumptions could be totally wrong, but you might have uncovered something else that is equally or potentially more of an opportunity to explore. So I think yeah. that mentality of being perfectly happy with the idea that your assumptions could not be right um, embracing the fact that you might learn something totally different is what it's, what it's about really yeah and I think more often than not like a startup for better or worse they haven't really a lot of people who come to us they haven't actually thought about in too much detail who those people are they've got a kind of view of the solution and the problem, but they, they and, and quite often it's them or their mm. their friends or family maybe that is the is the end user. But we need to then take that and try to unpick it a little bit to identify whether or not there are other people that this is for, because okay. otherwise it's a vanity project, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and our job is to understand whether or not it's a good use of someone's money. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's part of the value that we add into the process, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think that is that's quite well interesting for us. I think a lot of people, startups, especially as of solo investors or what have you, will come with, yeah, as you say, a, a, a bit of a personal sort of investment already because they've already, you know, their, their their user that they're targeting is related to a problem that they've experienced or their immediate family has um, or right. friends. Yeah, um, so I think it's good for them to be exposed to this process because it helps them sort of open their mind out a little bit more and sort of realise that, you know, you've got a very focused um, point of view and that needs to sort of be widened by sort okay. of exposure to these. So, so other, than, other than sort of validating an, an audience or a market, what other outcomes of sort of do you get from user research or is that, is that make the main focus of it? I think you get a lot from it I think from research we'll come back to so the competitor analysis and competitor research is another sort of aspect of this kind of research piece but we can come back to that with with users I think the main bits that you do get out of it is is either validating that some of your assumptions about the problems are correct or you learn more about what their actual needs are um, so you might uncover some new stuff again it's just about broadening your sort of understanding of the how accurate your assumptions are I guess um yeah, I mean, on the assumption that you can't bring those customers to the, the stakeholder workshop, you end up at the back end of the stakeholder workshop, you, all work, you end up with a common understanding of what the problem is, who you, what, what problem you're trying to solve. But then you do need to validate that. Yeah. Uh, and this step is part and parcel of, of validating it. Mm. I think depending on the, the sort of fidelity of the problem that you've got you're coming out whether it's something that's a little bit more because every sort of project starts from doesn't necessarily start from zero like sometimes there's been there's a lot of history um there's potentially a lot of some research has already gone into certain things um you can learn different things or you can be a bit more focused in your kind of line of questioning and sometimes you can reach out to the explicit end user and to ask a very specific question about something but other times it has to be a bit more about process perhaps like you say well what is you know how, how do you you're given this problem how does your day kind of pan out in relation to this and you just try and learn at a higher level okay um so it can it can vary okay so i guess the next thing you touched upon earlier was uh the next step which is like research and development so why would we do some research and development? what are we hoping to achieve from that well, just quickly before we jump oh, into that, <laughs> I, I was going to sort of bring it. The competitor analysis stuff is another sort of component to this, in that 
you know, I won't go into it too much because it's, it's relatively self-explanatory in some ways in that, you know, in order to kind of assess how viable your sort of problem is, assuming that some of users have this problem, there's potentially other people in that space um, trying to solve that problem. So in order for your product to be viable, you need to be aware of, you know, what other people are offering, um, how they're doing it, how they're monetizing it, and they're kind of... So we generally try and compile... You know, we do a little bit of a piece where we'll try and compile a list of direct competitors, so people that are very much operating in your the area that you're trying to sort of to work in. Um, there's indirect, which is kind of people that are, you know, not doing the exact same thing, but you know, they'll they'll be doing similar styles of of, of okay. pop, trying to do things. And then we try and sort of compile a list of sort of inspirational competitors as well, things that are, people that are executing very particular ideas in a very good in a very good way that we can use to draw inspiration from in the, the next round of that. I mean, one thing we probably haven't been too clear on either is uh, some of the activities that we maybe do as part of user research. Um, I often hear you or Rachel on the telephone to potential customers, like these, these users whose personas we've identified, interviewing them. Um, what do you tend to get from that, what's the what's the purpose there? Um, well, generally, when we go into the research piece, we'll try and with the client, we'll try and sort of clarify what what is we hope to learn. Um, so there's a kind of like an objective there. From that objective, we'll formulate a sort of a script, a sort of series of questioning that sort of you know will hopefully help us learn a little bit more about that sort of objective. Um, and then, you know, the, the work, the, the interviews happen in, in various ways. I guess we have done a lot of in-person. Um, we try to avoid group because groups a little bit, it can get derailed quite quickly. Um, there's a time and place for it. We need to sort of touch, like stretched on time. Uh, but one-to-one interviews face-to-face is usually the best if we can get it. We, but we also do it over telephone and Skype and stuff. Um, that can be work equally as well sometimes, especially when somebody's in a sort of more comfortable environment. Mm-hmm. And if they're at home or what have you, tech people tend to be a bit more, you know, a bit more open and a bit more relaxed as opposed to in a workplace. Um, so we try and take all those factors into into consideration when we're lining it up. But essentially, yeah, we'll, we'll try and, you know, define what it is we want to learn, which is with the client. So the client knows what we're going into it with um, and work with the client to sort of create some questions that we can hopefully answer from the research. Yeah. And something that I think you alluded to when we talked about the the introduction of stakeholder activity is a really quite powerful side effect of interacting with potential customers or even customers when we're trying to discover what to do next on a product. Um, giving examples of like limited markets and hotwire, you tend to strike up quite strong relationships with with either early adopters or existing customers who become quite strong advocates of what it is you're doing. So a very good sort of early kind of approach to to getting early adopters for new products. Yeah, you can then come along the journey. It is, yeah, it is very much a, a well. I mean, maybe calling it a side effect, a bit of an injustice, to be honest. It's very much a part. <laughs> yeah. of it, I think, like having a sort of regular contact with your customers in any capacity, just you know, it shows pe- people a little bit more forgiving, um, people a bit more open with suggestions, and as you said, they'll, they'll advocate um, a bit more. So that is a nice. It's nice to have a dialogue with your customers and, and have that sort of channel open quite regularly. So it's definitely something we've seen quite a bit Yeah. on those projects. Okay. Well, moving on then to the sort of research and development section that we've <laughs> talked about earlier. You're allowed to do that now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's, what's involved in that? Like, so what's, well, I guess what's involved in it and what are we hoping to achieve from it. Um, it's interesting because I think this is this this particular 
area was kind of maybe slotted in a little bit later. I think one thing that we've, as a side, a bit of a, a an aside, like when we've tried to sort of visualize this process in on the wall, we have like in the in the studio, we try and have a, a wall that sort of communicates the work that we're working on, and we have a very good refined one for our development process. But we wanted to reflect the discovery activities on there. And what became apparent is that. It, it was very design focused, or I felt like it was design focused. And on reflection, it's not always the case. You, you're trying to design something um, that might be technically um, incredibly difficult, or or what have you. So this is very much a nod to the the fact that we we dealing with startups in a in a technical space. You know, people might be coming with quite um, grand ideas as to what they want to be able to achieve, assuming that the problem that they they're trying to deal with exists and we can validate that um in parallel what this activity will be doing is sort of taking some of the assumptions around what solution might work for that problem um and trying to quite early on have an indication of how viable it is and what alternatives may be available to do something do something either different or or, or similar yeah well i think we could we can ground this in a very concrete example um given limited markets um, who came to us four years ago with an idea to um, replace voice brokers for agreeing trades for um, mm-hmm. our details. They wanted to build a web application whereby a trader could leave a price and another trader on the other side of the world would see that price or price change within one second. That's browser to browser, all the way through the client, back end, data center, and then you know, out again. Now, when they came to us, I think what what can't what version of Angular were we even on then? One point two. Yeah, it was. Um, I mean, at the time, we weren't actually sure whether or not that was that was even feasible. Right. It was a massive project or at least it had potential to be a massive project, but there's not really much point in just going, okay, let's just get on with it, design, build the UI, only to find out that actually technically it's not reasonable to adhere to that kind of level of, um, sort of SLA, we called it. So we we did some R&D just to um, prototype different technologies to test whether or not there's some feasibility there. So, okay. and, and we kind of iterated on a number of different things with Node and with PHP and different databases, NoSQL and SQL stuff. Yeah, so. yeah I think when the, when the key sort of USP for the product that you're trying to develop is grounded in, you know, something that's technically potentially quite challenging or unprecedented like this, yeah. this part of it allows us to get a bit more information about, you know, are you talking about something that's going to take months and months and months versus a few weeks or, or are there any sort of accepted solutions out there already that might help you know it's all just information really to help kind of to give you an understanding of how or the scope of the project how, how difficult it's going to potentially be um and that, that's a, that was a good example of the markets mm. so so we're saying that it's it's quite technology focused or could you also use other aspects in sort of research and development. So if I was to take an example of uh, a new, say a, a new feature, um, is there some sort of research into uh, the best sort of design solutions for that as well? Um, or is that or is that more to do with sort of user research, I guess? I think that particular example, it, it, it's a little bit easy because that's a little bit further down the line. I think if you've refined to a point where you can for a feature right. potentially um, I think that I mean you could argue you could argue either way a little bit I think this is a bit more about eliminating risk rather right. than okay. trying to, um, yeah. to to sort of come across best practices because it may well be that you know that it is viable but you know you, based on our understanding now and what we research it's going to cost you a hell of a lot more to deliver it because you need this much power or whatever power <laughs> you, you need this infra- level of infrastructure to facilitate it and that comes at a cost 
Yeah. Whereas they, somebody might not have had, had an appreciation of that. Okay. Um, especially when people come to us with like, I want Facebook or what have you for mm. this amount of money. 50 grand. <laughs> yeah. Because I think that's one of the side effects of people take technology for granted quite a lot. And I think it's a bit of an eye opener sometimes when you sit down and go, well, actually, in order to deliver that, this is what supports it. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Well, now, it's fair to say that there are very few people who really, who understand the complexities of, of software development mm. and the various different moving parts and people that are required to actually deliver something. And that's, you know, that's, that's fair, fair enough. Why, why would people understand that? Even people in technology don't understand it. Mm. So why should people come in who have very little yeah. um, experience within technology understand it? Okay. So, yes, so the last sort of item that was mentioned was collaborative, uh, getting a collaborative definition of the product. So could you maybe just explain what that is? That is, what is a, what is a collaborative it's quite, definition yeah. of the product? But before you start, is it fair to say, this is a nice question, okay. is it it's fair to say that probably everything else before this is actually input for the final stage? I think, yeah. There's a formalisation think, process going on, isn't there? I think okay. there's, there's a lot of that. I think at this point, hopefully, when we get to this the latter stage of this process, what you hopefully got is you've, you've identified that the problem that you thought you were going to try and solve it does exist. Mm-hmm. Um, or has been refined to or changed um, based on information that you've learned. The people that are sort of helped by that particular thing that you're trying to build do exist and would potentially buy into it. Yeah. Um, and any technical risks are kind of have been sort of explored and, and, and mitigated or, or eliminated. Um, so, as you, yeah, you're right. They'd, they'd all be inputs into this point. We're at a point now where we're comfortable in saying we know enough now to have a good stab at what this product should look like, what it should do, and who's going to use it, um, and what positive benefit it's going to make on these people. Okay. What's your favourite approach to doing that? My favourite. I know what mine is. My favourite approach. To the collaborative definition of the product? Yeah. Um, I mean, story mapping for me. How about you? Well, great, yeah. <laughs> well, what's, what is story mapping? Well, probably a, a nod to Jeff Patton, who find story mapping who came up with a concept mm-hmm. um, I would always recommend anybody involved in defining a product read his book or follow him on Twitter or you know generally soak up what he's got to say about the process because I think I think that that was a big thing for us yeah us. I think as a bit of a history lesson I think a little bit I think there's nothing overly complicated about what, what it actually delivers, but I think we wrestled with how to get people together and talk about what the product needs to do at a sort of at a level that wasn't sort of solution oriented. So it wasn't just about at the very start drawing a bit of you know a bit of UI about what it should do and somebody saying this is what it needs to do or getting a spec document of all this kind of like feature list. Um, and this was a nice when we read this book it was a couple of years ago now, I think um, it helped, well, it, it described an exercise that facilitates that journey of what somebody would go through on a, on a product. Um, and as a consequence, everybody's participating and it leads with an idea of what it needs to do. Um, but it, it's quite a broad, it's, it's, re- it's deceptively simple as a, as a, as an exercise. Mm. Um, the sort of, what goes into it? It's going to be a bit. Let's try to think of a best way of articulating. Because I think post-it it's, notes going to it. <laughs> notes got a lot of post-it and notes sharpies. Going to it. and sharpies. But I mean, like the process in it, in of itself, is just you. You we will identify, which we hopefully already got a lot of information about, as the the, the end users, people who are going to try and use this application or the product, and we'll pick their most important, um, pick the most important user from. A business perspective or from a output sort of perspective um, and then we'll try and walk through the product from their perspective in the sense of you know what tasks they do in a sort of roughly linear process mm-hmm. um, 
you've got a good warm-up activity when we ever do this with um with a group that's unfamiliar with it so yeah so that example i actually stole from the book um so what this activity does is it helps people get an idea of walking through a process uh, of tasks that they do in a fashion and helps people collaborate and put it together um, and it's about documenting your sort of morning routine um, so what we get people to do is we give them some post-it notes um, and we sort of put them in the scene if they're just woken up in the morning and they need to write down on a post-it note what's the first thing that they do um, so people might put like turn off alarm um, and then we say and then so that they move on to the next thing which is put on dressing gown or something like that um, brush teeth take a shower that kind of stuff um, so hopefully through this exercise people are sort of document at a level you know their sort of tasks that they do on the morning um, and then we try and consolidate them down in the category so like there are certain tasks that you would do um, and you wouldn't break so that you taking a shower for instance you might put shampoo on your hair uh, but you wouldn't put shampoo on your hair and then go and eat breakfast and then finish having a shower so it, it's a nice metaphor for how people might start to do something as a task um, and the kind of granular level of subroutines or subtasks that are, mm. are within them. Mm-hmm. Um, once people have got this kind of quite broad list of tasks that they do, we then try and get them to sort of summarize uh, groups of them into sort of activities. Um, so an activity might be just getting ready, um, which might encompass sort of getting dressed and showering. Um, sort of like I don't know sort of breakfast might be one which might include things like putting toast in a toast or having cereal depending on how kind of decadent your breakfast is in the morning there might be more tasks than less but essentially what we end up with is, is people hopefully leave that short exercise with an idea of what tasks are in terms of like the sort of level that they sort of cover what smaller bits are uh, sort of pouring milk on cereal for instance in this metaphor um, and then activities which are kind of broader things that help people generally tasks that help people achieve a particular goal so like getting clean for instance showering and shaving or what have you um, there are little tasks that help people sort of achieve that end goal we can then apply that kind of framework to the product definition so we will take the um, most important user and we'll get them we'll set the scene so hopefully we have a bit of information about a project um, we're using the bookmarks as an example, perhaps. Um, so the traders come in on a on a morning, sat down at the computer. The first thing they do, log in, perhaps, to the product. A bit boring, but that's maybe the first thing they do. We move on. Um, they'll view view the orders that are on the order book. We have this order book. It's got a list of orders. Um, so that's the next thing that they might do. And then we kind of work through that process. And some things might, you know, there's there's generally a loose linear narrative to to the to the process um and what helps people try because that can be quite broad what we do try and do is tie that process to a kind of an outcome um so we'll start with a user and their outcome might be in context of limpid markets perhaps would be to sort of understand where the market is that day um and that's their goal that's what we want them to be able to achieve so they maybe log in view the orders and that's quite a simple sort of outcome. But yeah. within that, they can see there's quite a lot of detail in there that's under that. You might be able to see the best prices or the second prices or this yeah. kind of who um, yeah. is my organization's prices, that that kind of stuff. Um, a a small lot goal. of previously traded prices that morning. Yeah. All the, all the things that helped build up an idea of current market activity. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully we'll get a set of tasks and activities that are tied to a particular outcome and then we'll try and take another outcome for that particular user what's the next thing that's quite important for them to to know and then from that we'll try and do a similar activity things will kind of slot in some things might happen before others but in essence we end up with this kind of like what looks like a a skeleton of like a backbone of, of tasks small little bits of detail broader activities that sort of cover these tasks um, and that forms quite a nice visual and sort of process of, of what what the product hopefully could be. Mm, right. I think where where we where it can be successful 
versus where it can start to seem a little bit like potentially wasting um, a bit of time is to try to keep the definition a little bit narrower than doing full on like well what's this product going to look like in the next two years because then you start to get into conversations which are a little bit too tenuous and ultimately are a little bit against kind of the principles of learning from what you're doing yeah. and iterating on it. Okay. So for instance, if you can start to define the first couple of most important outcomes, yeah. then you've got a starting point for delivering your product. Yeah. And from the back of that, you can then revisit the story map based on some understanding that you have further okay. down the line, which is greater than the understanding that you have okay. right now. So and I think that's the, that's, the, that's the key. That's where probably people can go too far with story mapping. What they do is they see it as a way of defining something huge. Mm -hmm. And the consequence of that is really what they're doing is they're doing big upfront requirements. Yeah. And they're defining things that may never or are unlikely to ever get done because your knowledge and understanding of the product will change significantly over a relatively short period of time once you've done some development. Okay. I think it's a bit of a, I think we've learned that a little bit with the sort of type of clients that we work with. I think there's a time and place for potentially going broader when you're kind of trying to renovate a little bit more and it's a little bit less precious about what it is that you're, so you're just trying yeah. to come up with some good ideas but they're a bit more throwaway. Um, but I think certainly we've learned that it is better to really identify outcomes and prioritize them and, and really set the foundation of the story map in those things because it does, especially when there's quite a few stakeholders involved, not having that anchor, it can spiral and people can sort of go into an awful lot of detail and waste potentially quite a lot of time. Yeah, because I mean, you could use built. a couple of examples of, of, of products that we've built, Live Markets, Project Red all in the last 12 months, if you look at how wide you can go, and quite deep as well as fairly complicated domain understanding, you end up delivering a third of the backlog and the rest of it is waste mm -hmm. because you then iterate on that third and learn new things. Mm -hmm. Because the only real way of learning something in a complex domain is by putting some software out there and getting people to use it. Everything else is just a guess. And the further you go into the future, the more speculative that guess is. So it's quite, I mean, it's it's quite a powerful little exercise. I think it takes a people a little bit to get used to, but I think it's very, it's because it's very visual. And it, in order to talk about things, people can point, touch, move things around. It's very sort of tactile and it's it's quite an accessible way of mm. visualizing what, what you need to do. I'm, I mean, some of the huge benefits is that you can spot gaps straight away because you're talking in a sort of as a process or like this happens, then this happens, then this happens. It's very easy for somebody to go, well, what happens? You've missed a bit there. So like yeah. it gets people to talk about the gaps. Um, if you do try and focus quite small, but then you realize that it is actually quite big, it's a very quick and easy way to go, well, actually, I didn't realize how big this, this thing was. Can we potentially make it smaller or can we think about different ways of doing it? It's certainly a good visual cue for, for scale isn't it yeah absolutely because again a lot of people don't understand what it actually requires to say deliver a feature that might actually they might think oh i just want someone to sign on or sign up to something yeah. but that sounds simple but then you start delving like uncovering what that actually means in the context of their product yeah. It might mean that there's an onboarding process. It might be that there's a you know, double authentication going on. It might be that they have to supply certain personal information. Okay. And it kind of, it, it, those sorts of things uncover all of the kind of detail behind, well, someone's signed on. Yeah. Uh, but actually, you know, there's a load of stuff which is very specific to the, the context that has to be done before, before mm. that happens. Okay. 
Yeah, it, it sort of it helps encourage those conversations, doesn't it? And I think one of the nice and one of the big side effects, of, one big benefit, sorry, of this whole process, because everybody's got an invitation to talk and point and move mm-hmm. things around, ask questions. Like we, we were joking earlier about this sort of being a bit of a buzzwordy bingo thing, but like the, the shared shared understanding is is the key aspect in all this, and that anyone who's participating in that exercise leaves with a solid idea of what it needs to be. Um, and the post-its, you know, they're a bit of a, an artifact, a side effect. They're, just, they're, they're not what's important, really. It's that kind of everybody coming together, aligning on what it needs to do, what it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and those post-its, will, they'll form the foundation of, as we talk a bit more and learn a bit more, they'll become the, the sort of user stories and, yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Um, and as that, as that understanding of what the product is, we can then move, pick part of it that we want to start on, the entry point, um, pick a part of that map that we want to, focus on and we can take that into a, an exercise where we refine those tasks we talk about them in a little bit more detail we have an exercise called example mapping that we try and use to flesh out details about particular user stories to make sure that we're covering all the kind of edge cases um so as we talk, take that a step down but that's a little bit a little bit later when we sort of start building things designing things yeah okay yeah, cool. Well, hopefully that hopefully that's given people, well, given anyone who's listening, a bit of an understanding as to you know what the what the steps are involved. We haven't covered everything. I think when we started talking about this, we realised how how deep it could go. Um, but it's sort of a, a broad overview of how we would take some initial sort of idea and try and run it through a process where we make sure that we are building the right thing. We all know what we're building, and we're building it for the right people. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Brian. That's my closing statement. Perfect. (laughs) All right, so that sort of draws us to a close. So thank you to James. Thank you. Thank you to Kirsten. Thank you. Thank you for (laughs) watching.